Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6 is what we're studying. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, I understand that I am not capable of teaching this. So I uh, beseech your throne that your spirit and uh, my brothers and sisters would encourage them, would convict them, would comfort them, would counsel them, the Father, and strengthen them each, that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling. To you, my King, my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We're dealing with this text. Verse 1 is the call. Okay, he gives you three chapters of theology, and then verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, this is the call in light of this theology. So I'm going to ask you a question. I think about people, I think about myself. I'll, just, I'll keep it that way. When I get hungry, what do I do? Go eat. Right? Uh, yesterday, uh, I fixed me up a bunch of bacon, and I uh, just really wanted a bacon sandwich. And so I got me a bake, some wheat bread and some cheese, and made me a bacon sandwich. And then I'm saving the grease, because tomorrow morning, I'm going to have bacon fried potatoes with eggs. That is the extent of my planning abilities. Okay? You get hungry, you eat. When you get thirsty, what do you do? You drink. Sometimes you may want a tea. You may want an orange juice. I don't know. Some of you just like plain old water. I can take or leave that. But anyway, so when you get cold, you put on more clothes. We have clothes. We want a roof over our head. So when it comes to the physical, we take care of that stuff, don't we? And, you know, and we don't put it off. I don't want to starve myself. I don't want to get real thirsty, dehydrated or anything like that. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to your spirit, what do you do? When it comes to your soul, what do you do? Psalm uh, 42, 1 and 2. David understood this probably better than any of us ever will. When the deer pants at the brook... Okay, now I've been in Israel, and I can understand why the deer pant. Uh, water is uh, slim in any given day. And I'm sure that when he looked at that picture, when he wrote these words, he had that picture in mind. That deer thirsting with its tongue out. Right? You know what the next verse says? So my soul pants for you. Have you ever felt that way about the Lord? Completely consumed and overwhelmed? Because that's kind of what we're dealing with in this text. If we're going to walk worthy, the Apostle Paul tells us how, and step one is what? It says all humility. It's a compound word in the Greek. All humility, the word all means, it means whether it's relationships, whether it's situations, whether it's co-workers, whether it's relatives, whether it's loved ones, no matter what it is, Anything that I'm involved in, that is the all. And the word literally means lowliness. 
beggars. That is how we begin the walking worthy. Now remember in verse 1, the apostle is begging us. The New American Standard uses the word, I implore you. The word means to beg. I am begging you to walk worthy. Let me give you a quote from uh, my second favorite preacher. Quote, I do not think it is a harsh judgment to say that the most obvious feature of the life of the Christian church today is, alas, its superficiality. Unquote. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You know what's weird about that? That was 1970. Okay? Do you believe the superficiality has gotten bigger or smaller? Okay? And I believe that the main reason for that cause of the superficiality is the attitude that Christianity and Christians towards the Bible. I call it a, a failure to take it seriously. Our failure to take it as it is. I've traveled in numerous countries that have been oppressed Christians have been oppressed in for almost a century or more. And it is amazing to me that I can read the Bible and it's amen. Whatever text I was teaching on, whether it was the book of Romans, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, of 1 Corinthians, uh, doctrine of God, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, all of these things that I have taught over the course of the years, Amen. That's what they say. Amen. Try that in the United States. I'll give you a text. Women are not to teach over men. Women are not to be in leadership. Try that. Okay. But you see what I mean? You can't get away with that. But I've been in other countries like, yeah, amen. And even the women say amen. The Bible speaks to us, but I wonder if we allow it to speak to us. If we do, is there a failure to obey it? And when there is a failure to obey it, there is only one reason that you do. There's only one. I know you like to make it more complicated. It is our pride. Okay? That's what I began last Lord's Day. Okay? What is it that tempts us to pride? Okay? We all look at it and say, well... He, his train fills his throne room. He flung the stars into the heaven. He hung the earth on nothing. And so that doesn't really leave a lot of room for our individual pride. I set the boundaries of the sea and they will go no farther on the shore. I mean, minor, minor things like that. I knit you in your mother's womb. I know the days of your existence, I know the hairs on your head. Right? So last week I looked at two. First, our abilities tempt us to pride. When we have a talent or when we have, we have an ability. There's something that we can do that we're pretty good at, and that is a temptation for pride. God has shown me, I, I, I am pretty good that if I take the thing apart, I can put the thing back together. And so God broke me of that. 
he brought me a bunch of stuff that was apart and says, put it together. Okay, and you're like, wow, man, this, this is going to be a head scratcher. Uh, I'll give you a for instance. I had to put together two four-speed kicker Harley-Davidson transmissions. They quit making four-speed transmissions for Harleys in the early 70s. And I got this box of gears and two cases. And it was like, oh, look, a puzzle. But I don't have a picture. And you call around to people, and it's like, what are you doing with four-speed transmissions? And I said, exactly. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing with these. I sold my boat so they're not anchors. Anyway, so the first one is that we have abilities. And we have a temptation in our abilities to be prideful. Okay, the second one we looked at was economic pride. Economic pride. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 and following says that we buy and buy and buy and buy, and we are very successful in the things that we do. And in doing that, we become confident in ourselves, and we no longer depend on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 5 says you keep buying more and more as he was calling the nation of Israel to understand that they had gotten so comfortable in their monetary situation. Guess what? They didn't need the Lord anymore. I look at it from this perspective. When he asked the disciples asked him how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. The church in the United States today goes into the stores and say, hey, Lord, what would you like? I'm buying. Now, I've given you several Old Testament of this, but I want to give you one that is very interesting to me. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy. And I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what's weird about that text? That's a church. A letter from the Lord Jesus Christ to a church in Laodicea, Revelations 3.17. See, the church in Laodicea is a lot what you see in the United States today. They have it all backwards. And I think that when I look at all humility and I look at America and the Christian community, it is all backwards. I think that uh, as I look at some of this and I start kind of wrestling with it, it is easy for us at times to start looking at such and such or this church or this group of people or this ministry or this or that. And I think that the issue is that right there. I should go look in the mirror. Am I tempted by my abilities? Am I tempted... By the comfort of my economic situation. Let me give you a third one. What I call tempted by our verbal. Okay? If you wanted to put bragging, you can. It's an interesting word if you look at it in the New Testament Greek. Alazena. Alazena. It is not a term of endearment. Okay, the literal alazena in the Greek means to to shoot off your mouth about what 
he doesn't own or do. Bragging. You know what? I have been around for a few years lately, and I have I have been blessed to do some amazing things, okay, and to survive some amazing things. And every once in a while, I'll run into some of these people from the past that I was involved in some amazing things, okay, and it is amazing how great we are the further we get from the actual event. You know? It was astonishing. You should have seen me. One year in my brilliance idea, I took a vacation. I was into mountaineering. And me and a partner decided that we were going to do the north face of the Grand Teton in January. Did you know that on the north side of everything, it's always in the shade? You know, you get in the shade to make it cooler. You know what I can tell you about that adventure? I have never been that cold in my entire life, and I nor I ever want to be. I had parts of my body I didn't know belonged to me that were cold. Okay? Doesn't sound quite that great, does it? I won't tell you about the stuff blowing either. The stories seem to get better and better as we boast and we become arrogant about what we have done. What we have done. That's human nature. Human nature. Um, Text that I taught on many years ago. Out of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, I don't know if you know the story about Samuel. 1 Samuel. Uh, Hannah had a husband. She was one of many wives. Everybody was having kids but her. And she wanted to have a baby. And she gave birth to a child. His name was Samuel. So she had a song of thanksgiving in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. When Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, which is my strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse 2, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Okay, now we sit right there and we go, Amen, Amen, and Amen, don't we? Then there's verse 3. Boast no more, So very proudly, do not let arrogance come from out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. You know what He just said? You can't top this, and God knows what you really did. All right? Don't talk about you. Is what Hannah's song of praise is. Leave that for someone else. Elkanah, her husband, said, You're my favorite. But she didn't have a kid. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that you could go a week without talking about what you have done? Not once. Talk about what you have done. That's what Hannah is saying. I can tell you what, you think you could go in the afternoon. See what I'm trying to get at? When I talk about humility, I'm talking about the ability, the economic side, and the mouth. Out of the mouth speaks the 
Now, listen, I know for a fact that I could go a whole day without talking about myself as long as I stayed away from people. Right? I go sit in my office and do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Right? I could probably go hang out with my dog. I don't talk about myself with her because she don't care. What are we having for dinner, Dad? I like the bacon sandwich thing. Listen, people who don't talk about what they have done, do you realize how much they stand out? I sat with three of the most powerful ministers on the planet. And all they wanted to know is what I was doing. One of them, there's no time zone on the United States. You can't hear him every half hour. And they wanted to know what I was doing. How is that possible? Those people who don't talk of themselves stand out. What we've done or what we are going to do seems to be forever on our lips. Yet in First Kings it says, Let not him who girds on his armor boast as he who puts it off. That's a fancy way of saying, Don't boast about what you're going to do in war until you've been in it. When you're taking your armor off, then you can boast about what you've accomplished. Don't tell the tale before you put it on. Tell it when you take it off. Maybe when the battle is over, maybe then you'll have something to say. Tempted about what we are going to do, tempted about what we have done. Kind of amazing, actually. Psalms chapter 3. It is amazing how much of this the Bible teaches about pride. Psalms chapter 12, verse 3. Now this is a very strong picture about guarding your mouth, about boasting. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. There you have it. That's a picture. That's how the Lord looks at it. Fourth thing I want you to think about. That is a temptation for pride. Class pride. I get to the place that I can look down on people. Okay. Can you really fellowship with us? Our... They up to our standards. You know what that is? Pride. I've arrived. Listen, I don't know if you knew it or not. God loves poor people. You know what? Jesus came into the world. Guess what? He's one of the poor. And yet James warns us that those who come in with the gold and the riches and the fine clothes and they get the seats up front. These are things that I want us to think about because they are a temptation for us. Psalms chapter 10, verse 2. In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots that they have devised. The proud do what? Pick on the weak. Pick on the weak. That's the truth. It's still today. Still today. Fifth thing. A temptation to pride. Appearance. Appearance. In the Song of Solomon, it speaks of the woman adorning herself to please the one she loves. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Song of Solomon teaches it. Human nature appreciates it. Right? But the Pharisees used to have clothes that were all torn and it smear ashes on themselves so they would appear what? Holy. It was funny. I was at the, the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the Wall of Prayer in Jerusalem. And uh, that is the most holy thing for Judaism. That's, that's it right there, buddy. Okay. And I watched, <laughs> I watched these guys. You got to put one of them things on your head. So you put it on. I was there on a high holy day. Okay. Actually, it was Param. I told you last Wednesday, Param started. I was there during Param. And uh, so I walk up to the wall. And you can see these little tabs of paper that are stuck all over the walls. They say that if you write a prayer on a piece of paper and you stick it in that wall, that that keeps going up to the Lord until it falls out or you get it answered. So, And I look at this guy next to me. He comes up. Now, he's got, a, he's got a personal one of them little things on his head. And he's got this, like a shawl. And I'm, he is getting after it, buddy. I mean, Adonai, oh, great Jehovah, and, and he starts ripping this thing and ripping and ripping and going and just getting. I'm sitting there going, oh, man, he is praying hard for something. And then I noticed when he got done, he took it off, handed it to a rabbi, and he had a three-piece suit on underneath. Why don't you rip the suit, dude? But they got these cloth things that you can put on and start tearing to show your, uh, whatever, to impress the Gentile. <laughs> but when I saw that he was wearing a suit, I thought, no, man, he... That's no different than the Pharisees. Now, I didn't say nothing. But they wanted to give the appearance of, I don't know what you call it, spirituality. In our society, there are those who dress to call attention to themselves. Okay? Someone quoted this and says, they are sheep to slaughter Led by Madison Avenue. Unquote. I call it investing in needless things. I shared with you a bit of this last week. I'll share with it again. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly garments. Okay, one of the things that women used to do is let their hair grow very long, and they would put all of their wealth and their jewels and everything, and they'd weave it into their hair, and they could show everybody, look, I've got a lot. See, check out my head. Okay. He says, why are they not adorned with good works? Let me give you an illustration that you all know of. Who was the most beautiful of all of the angelic host? How did that work out? That was his downfall. Lucifer became haughty. Haughty. Heard that from Eric Alexander. He said, I thought you were haughty. And I was like, wow, man, that's cool. We don't talk like that when we get to glory. We'll speak Hebrew with a Scottish accent. Some of you are new here. Don't take everything I say seriously. In Isaiah chapter 3, the prophet says this. It's, it's sort of all there beginning in uh, verse 16 through 26. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud and walk with their heads held high and seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps, twinkle their bangles on their feet, therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs 
and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, and amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festival robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand mirrors, undergarments, turbans, veils. Now it will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefaction. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning sackcloth. Branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword, and your mighty ones in battle, and her gates of lament mourn and deserted. She will sit on the ground. Wow. Wow. It's kind of all there, isn't it? Sixthly, power has a temptation for pride. Our position. Look who I am. Everyone is tempted to use their position. Listen, if God gives you a position of leadership, no matter what it is, there's always a temptation to lord it. Self-importance. You ever thought about this in your work? I deserve better. You know what causes that? Pride. Revelation chapter 18 speaks of Babylon and Babylon glorified self. John tells how much torment she will get from the I am for glorifying herself. In the book of Acts, King Herod stood before the people of Israel and expressed how great he was and what he had done and how powerful he was. You know what happened to him that evening? He was eaten by worms. Do I need to talk to our dear friend Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel chapter 4. Looked across the hanging gardens of Look at what I have accomplished. And God had the power to humble him. And he grazed as a wild beast on grass for seven years. And when he came back, what did he say? God of the Hebrews is the God of all. So our position can get in our way. Seventh, social pride. Social pride demands a certain kind of treatment. Do you understand who I am? Do you understand? It's, it's like when people call me reverend. It just, it's like fingers on a chalkboard. There's only one person that needs reverence. I ain't him. All right? I'm Terry. Of the Terryites. <laughs> no, just kidding. Can't miss me. But you see what I mean? You know, and I, you know, I understand that that's people were raised and well, you are the river. No, I'm not, but okay, I understand what you're doing. All right. There are those who in a social way believe they deserve, uh, you know, how can I go to a super eight motel when I spent the night in a Hilton? I remember I was at a shepherd's conference a couple of years ago and everything came together at the last minute. And so I had to get stuck with whatever hotel I could get. And I had to go way up almost uh, Pasadena and stay in a Hilton. And I got Pastor Paul a room there. So we go to it and he's taking pictures. 
He's, he's like, this is a Hilton. This is a Hilton. And I was like, yeah, I said, that's the only one I had, I got left. I mean, I couldn't get another. All the other hotels were, cause we were probably 45 minutes if there's no traffic from where the conference was. And saying there's no traffic in Los Angeles is like, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. So we had to get up like five o'clock to get there at nine. Okay, so anyway, he's taking pictures. It's a Hilton. It's a Hilton. And I was like, whatever. And so we get into the elevator. And I said, I'm going to take you up to your room. And so we get on the elevator and he looks and there's, you know, there's, I don't know how many floors we were in. And, and he's like, all of these? And I said, yeah, because the highest one that they've got is in Rangu. It's four stories. And this thing was probably 20. And so I get him up to his room and he's like, I'm staying in a Hilton. I'm staying. <laughs> and I was like, whatever, Pastor Paul. And so the next day we were coming in, and he starts hitting every button and looking out. <laughs> and look out. And if you've been in a hotel, you know that every floor, that entryway, they all look the same. And so anyway, it was fascinating to watch. Listen, as we move in our lives, we move up in status. I remember going back to my mom's when I was younger, and the key was drive it through. Okay, just, you know, and so me and my brother would make different trips. And it's usually a 24-hour drive, so we felt like if we were doing it 17 or 18, we were right on, right on, right on. I've crossed that marker now that says, okay, where are the hotels and how many nights do I need? Ain't driving that through. Yeah, you don't mind. But what happens as we start getting up in the ladder, we start thinking and expecting that we have a certain kind of treatment. You think I'm wrong? You ever been to a restaurant and wonder why it's so slow? Why is the service so slow? Who are you? See, I didn't like that food. So you yell at the waitress, did she cook it? Complain to the waitress? Well, she shouldn't have ordered it. As we go up in the world, the world of servants gets bigger and bigger. And we start thinking that everybody is our servant. We looked at that this morning in John 13. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he says, you're not better than the master. We start wanting the nice rooms. We start wanting the best seats. And it's a wrong view of what you are worthy of. God provides nice things. I did a conference. It's been a number of years ago down in Albuquerque at Hoffmantown Church. And they wanted me to be a speaker. And I said, all right. And so I had to, two of my kids are still at home. And I decided to make it a family vacation thing. So I was calling around to figure out where I was going to stay. Uh, I don't remember how many days it was. All of a sudden, this lady, personal secretary to Wayne Barber calls, and she said, uh, how many people are coming with you? And I told her. They said, all right, this is where your room's at. I was like, well, I I can get a room because I knew where there was a hotel just down the street from it. So they put us up, and I don't even remember the name of the hotel, but it was nice. It was very nice. And so we go into this room, and, you know, my boys are looking at me saying, you're telling me that they're paying for you to be here? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, kind of strange, ain't it? And they said, yeah. And then there's a knock at the door, bang, 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 bang. And this lady the, from the front desk brings this big, huge basket of fruit and crackers and all this other stuff and said, here, this is from Hoffman Town, and we welcome you here and all the rest of it. And I said, they're going, whoa. You know, I ain't ever been treated like that since. And I know why. Had this small incident. I got Josh. One, you remember the little wooden planes, balsa wood planes that have the rubber band propeller on it? <laughs> I got him one of those. We get out on the balcony, let that thing fly. And it's going around the parking lot. And it lands. And this stupid roadrunner comes out and attacks it. <laughs> and they all decided... I don't know who these people are, but we don't want them back in New Mexico. So anyway. What can I say? You can take the boy out of the country for a minute. The problem is he won't stay there. 
in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Beginning at verse 7. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. You know what that means? Don't make him tell you to get up and move. Okay? And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place, because you'd be the last seat left. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all of those who are at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He went on also to say to one who had been invited, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, you may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteousness. See that? That's what the Lord is telling us. There are too many who want the Lord to look at them. Look at what I've done. Look at where I'm at. Look at where I'm sitting. I was in a number of uh, synagogues in uh, Jerusalem, or well, all kinds of places. And there's this great big stone in every synagogue. Great big stone thing. They say it's a seat, but you didn't want to relax on it. It had a back on it. It's two shoulders on it. It's called the Seat of Moses. The one who sits in the seat of Moses is the one with the authority. Supposedly is the expert in the book. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He confronts them. Jesus spoke out. Spoke to the crowds and his disciples saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves where? The chair of Moses. We are the authority. We are the smart ones. Therefore, all they tell you to do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things, but do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. They are, but they themselves are unwilling to move even as much as a finger. Why? Look at me, I'm important. Which means I don't have to do anything. They desire to be lifted up. They want the accolades of the world. Look, he's sitting in the seat of Moses. Look, he's setting up. Listen, there's a pastor's group that gets together every Thursday here. We had a guy come from Colorado Springs. I won't mention his name. But he came to a number of our meetings. He always wanted the seat of honor. And you know what? God humbled him. That it was humbled nationally. I had people asking me when I was in Oriel, Russia about it. But I noticed this about him. He always wanted to be at the head of the table. And I kept thinking, man, that's bad juju, buddy. It's a temptation to be somebody in our society. It's a temptation to be lifted up. It's a temptation to be exalted. Number eight, the thing that will lead you to pride, spiritual pride, spiritual pride. I know what it says. Really? Let me share you with something that's just stunned me. 
Matthew's Gospel, again, chapter 23, beginning at verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom from the people, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour the widow's house. And for pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive great condemnation. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the sea and land. You make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you will make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple... That is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is important, the gold or the temple that is sanctified, that has sanctified the gold. And whatever you swear at the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, offering on the altar the sacrifices and the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. Whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who is upon it. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You know what the word woe means there? It doesn't mean stop a horse. It's damnation. I'm cursed. I am cursed. You know what I find in that? Jesus blistered the theological experts for their hypocrisy. He called them white worse tombs. I want you to remember something about that text. Jesus, throughout his gospel, he condemns the sin and he loves the sinner. But when it comes to spiritual hypocrisy, he condemns both. Did you get that? It's the only time he condemns both. What? Spiritual pride. Attitude of the heart. Spiritual pride. I've got it. Listen. Those who think they've arrived or those who think they've got all the answers, that is spiritual pride. Ninth, intellectual pride. After listening to his friend in Job 12, he makes this statement. You are the people and the wisdom will die with you. You know what he's saying? (laughs) You die and we'll all be ignorant forever. (laughs) All right? Uh, Intellectual smugness. I've got the answers. You know what? I always spot that. That's the easiest one to spot. You know how it's come? They're not teachable. I have people right now who are not teachable by me. Why? Well, they think they're smarter than me. They think they have more going on than what I've got. You know what? I I can guarantee you everybody in this room's got more going on than what I got. That ain't the issue. Listen, the more I look at Scripture, the less I know. And I got to be honest with you, I love you. It's annoying. It's annoying. Satan, our accuser, associates, his associates, they can be demonic or they can be people who are following the things of this world. They will tempt us to be proud. They will tempt us to be proud about our abilities. They will tempt us to be proud about our economic situation. They will tempt us with to be proud about our words, our class, our society, our appearance, the positions that we hold, our social desires. 
our spiritual lives, and our intellect. All of these will tear away at humility. When we lose humility, we lose step one of a worthy walk. Walking worthy begins with humility. I just give you nine temptations that will tear at your humility. Jeremiah, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in the Lord, that he understands and knows me. I am the Lord. Listen, we have nothing to glory in. Only that we know Him. That's it. We know the Lord God of the universe. That's it. We've got nothing else. But if you think about it, (laughs) there's nothing else needed. I don't need abilities. I don't need economics. I don't need intellects. I don't need a big mouth. I don't need any of that. Why? I know him. I know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have shown us that in all humility is the beginning, the basis, the foundation, the first step of walking worthy. You have shown us great and mighty things. Father, you have shown us how to be overcomers. You have shown us how to be victorious. You have shown us how to bow our knee. And now, Father, may that humility and understanding that we know you be all that is necessary and we will walk worthy in Christ's name. Amen.